A River to Cross, Chapter 31. The Flood of a Lifetime, parenthesis, a free fall from grace to the pit, in parenthesis. Quote, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. End quote. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Have you ever convinced yourself of the purity of your motives, knowing deep inside that the real truth is not so good? I told myself I was stepping down from the bench, parenthesis, May 1, 2005, in parenthesis, and the pulpit, parenthesis, January 2006, close parenthesis, to return to the private practice of law. Recently, after creating a timeline of events across my 64-plus years, I have come to realize this was part of a pattern of periodically changing directions across my entire life. Looking at my timeline, I now see that I have changed directions over and over every six to ten years. I was changing directions in search of my true path while knowing the path I was taking was not God's will. It was pure Hollis. It was wrongfully conceived and executed in a vacuum of running to selfishness and self-indulgence while running away from God. The results were predictably tragic. I don't know the physiological basis of this sad principle, but I do know the practical side of it. An alcoholic's return to drink isn't a new bout of alcoholic behavior. It begins below the lowest point previously experienced and goes down dramatically from there. In other words, when a former alcoholic returns to his old ways, he quickly finds himself in much worse shape than he ever experienced before. Like a flooding river, out-of-control drinking, any drinking by an alcoholic is by definition out-of-control, is destructive and life-altering. Following about 12 years of sobriety, I returned to drinking socially and within a very brief time period was being completely controlled by large quantities of liquor. I began to make decisions that had no thought beyond immediate pleasure and self-indulgence. In short... All of the great strides of living a spirit-led life quickly gave way to a life controlled purely by the flesh. No matter who we are, the ways of man are never the ways of God. Proverbially, the way that seems right to us leads to death. In summary, from mid-2005 to the summer of 2008, I went from being a respected judge and loving pastor to a person with no direction, no outwardly visible moral compass, from a man of prayer to a man of lust for more and more of whatever gave relief, even if it came at a high price. I had completely destroyed my marriage, failed my children as a father, failed all my friends as someone worthwhile to look to, ruined my health, and brought financial disaster to all of us. By 2008, I was passing out at night in my man cave, a building I constructed behind our home on the Homochitta River, and then rising well before dawn to resume drinking vodka at a rate of at least a half a gallon a day. During that time period, 
May 2005 to August 2008, I had been arrested and pled guilty to one driving while intoxicated, been arrested, tased, and charged with a second driving while intoxicated, have had several wrecks, the last one of which I have no idea what happened, and I was thrown through the windshield and refused medical attention even though I was badly cut, bruised, had a dislocated jaw, and as later demonstrated by x-ray, fractured my skull. I had had bladder cancer, been to treatment for alcohol, and left been fired from my job as prosecutor, understandably, gained about 50-plus pounds, was diagnosed with COPD, put on oxygen, and had been in ICU with a dangerously aggressive case of pneumonia, blown large amounts of money on ill-conceived projects that existed only to serve me, and most tragically, had been running from God. The bridge too far where my life had landed could only be reached by completely abandoning every trademark of normalcy. You arrive at a station in life, if life it can be fairly called, where the only conscious thought process is the next drink, and if a drink is not available, you want whatever takes you out of where you are that makes you feel any better than you felt a moment ago. So everything in my life was geared toward preserving the flow of feel better and carefully avoiding any degree of self-awareness. Under no circumstances was I going to confront the man in the mirror. At some level, I knew what I was doing in my daily drinking. I knew what I was doing to myself and my family and all whom I loved. Because I knew that on a certain level, I am without excuse. But I never allowed my mind to go there. I didn't permit the entry of a conscious thought about such things. It was too painful, and it might have disrupted what I wanted to do, which was stay drunk and keep the medication flowing. Today, I fear anything that I might use to help me get through the day. Getting through the day is called living, and living must be done by staying in the moment. To live is to accept each moment as real, present, and necessary. Anything short of this is an invitation to a fall. I have taken a lot of falls in my life, but at this stage I have to take full fall precautions because a fall now would be fatal. I am not afraid of dying, but I am terrified of not dying sober. My life was captured in a song Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson sang, Reasons to quit, the smoke and booze don't do me like before, and I'm hardly ever sober, and my old friends don't come round much anymore. The low is always lower than the high, and the reasons to quit don't outnumber all the reasons why. So we keep smoking and we keep drinking, having fun and never thinking, laughing at the price tag that we pay, and we keep roaring down the fast lane like two young men feeling no pain, and the reason for quitting's getting bigger each day. That song was roaring in my head, and I knew it was time. I just didn't know time for what. When the level of alcohol in your system is that high, you are truly hardly ever sober. Honestly, you are never sober. Life is a grainy, hard-edged existence like an old, stark, black-and-white photograph of a harsh winter scene. The fog in my brain never cleared. It was always there. 
It seemed as if there was a fleeting moment that followed the second drink of the day, usually around 6.30 in the morning, when the colors of life appeared to come into focus. That appearance of reality lasted only a brief time and then was replaced with the sameness of a thousand days before and left me with a stare of the same measurement. I convinced a longtime friend to help me detox off vodka, off every form of alcohol, with reservation and consternation, and after extracting empty promises from me, he agreed to detox me at home. He gathered the necessary tools, and the path was laid out. It was a path that led to somewhere between hell and Alice's Wonderland, and somehow seemingly even further downhill from there. The next 72 to 96 hours were filled with deep pain, confusion, hallucinations, and more pain. What I saw and heard in those hours and days doesn't bear repeating. Truthfully, most of it is beyond my penmanship to be able to share, and even more so beyond my conscious ability to recall. What I do recall, I don't care to try to repeat. The fix was in. I was sober, and I wanted to go to an AA meeting. That's just what I did. I went to Summit AA in Summit, Mississippi. I felt so good after the meeting that I went to the liquor store and destroyed everything that everyone had worked to help me with. Here I am. I'm drunk again. Drunk again is both the most comforting feeling back where you feel safe and the most miserable straight from the pit of hell place an alcoholic can be. You truly can be in two places at once. I had a deep desire, too deep to speak and too complicated to understand, to never visit this place again. I didn't know it, but my path was headed in the right direction. It would take a couple of more jolts to bring me to my knees, and they were much closer than I realized. Fast forward to Memorial Day 2008. I was on my knees, hands cuffed behind my back, wearing shorts but no shirt in the median of U.S. Highway 98. Blood was seeping from my left arm and shoulder where twice I had just been shot with a taser gun. One of the arresting officers, Officer Gary Crawford, said to me, You used to be something. You are the hottest thing around here. Look at you now. What happened to you? What have you done to yourself? What indeed had happened to me? I didn't have a clue at that moment but if I had been inclined to answer, I would have said something like, I was just trying to make it through the day. I was just trying to have a good time. That would have been an accurate answer based on my blinded eye vision of where my life was. Today, five years sober, I only rarely think of taking a drink. Yet there is great danger in thinking that not drinking is sobriety. Not drinking is a component of sobriety and obviously a very important foundational component. I must go far beyond staying alcohol-free. I have to make sure I don't find new and different ways to get high. Even as I have been writing over the last several days, I have been hearing a little warning bell about some of my daily activities. If I am seeking a good feeling based on my performance, I am setting myself up for a fall. 
There is nothing wrong with feeling good about ourselves, our activities, our thoughts. On the other hand, if the feelings are fueling my sobriety, then I am destined to get drunk in one way or another. I can't let my feelings about life be driven by how others are responding, by trusting in outside approval. That is more dangerous than a case of your favorite brew and a promise that no one will know but you. Today, thanks to the process of putting these thoughts on paper and God's continued revelation of things to me, I see a much bigger picture. I don't suffer under the impression I have resolved this all and now know the answers to all of the questions. Truthfully, I not only don't know the answers to all of the questions, I have yet to ascertain what all of the questions are. Yet, by the grace of God, I have some insight today into how my life had gotten so far, far, far off track. As long as you are still drawing breath, there is no such place as a bridge too far. Never, ever, ever give up.